Welcome to the FemiPod. These are conversations about females for everyone to listen to, learn from and engage with. Brought to you by your Femi founders, Esther Kewen and myself, Lydia O'Donnell. Welcome back to the FemiPod. As per usual, you are here with myself, Lydia, and my Femi co-founder, Esther, and we have a very special guest with us. Our guest is not only an inspiring, hardworking, and driven female founder, but also our partner and mentor at Startmate. Megan Wolf is an engineer, a founder of a creative company called Bellish, and is now the head of the Accelerator program at Startmate. For those who don't know, Startmate and missed our episode number 36, Startmate is Australasia's biggest accelerator program for startups. We applied to Startmate this year alongside over 300 other companies and are extremely excited to be one of the 12 successful companies to be going through the current program. As mentioned, Megan is head of this program and with Megan's experience as a female in a male-dominated space, we couldn't think of a better and more wonderful person to talk to to understand being a female in a space that isn't necessarily about sport. Welcome to the FemiPod and the Femi family, Megan. How are you today? I'm so good. Thank you so much for having me. Um, It's been a pleasure to get to know both of you over the last few weeks and I'm excited to dive in and have a good chat. Thanks so much. And same here. It's been amazing getting to know you and having your guidance so far. Uh, Yeah, we really appreciate it. But let's dive straight in. Can you tell us a little bit about your background? What were your ambitions when you're at school? And as you went into an engineering degree, what exactly was it that excited you or drew you into engineering specifically? Yeah, nice question to start with. So at school, I was uh, very driven. I quite early on in high school felt like school was a bit of a game and I figured out like, all right, do your homework this way, answer questions this way, participate in class this way, A+. plus. Like I, I felt like I'd kind of worked the system even, even as a little person, whether or not that was true from, from an outside perspective. So um, I really kind of... Uh, I did that with school work and I also did that with sports. So I played a lot of sport in school, um, which I loved. I'm sure, you know, it's just one of those kids that had a lot of energy. Um, but from a kind of what led me to engineering, so I was really good at maths, um, did a lot of maths at school, physics, and in kind of leaning into the subjects that I enjoyed and got a lot of value out of in maths and physics, I was often one of, if not the only girl in the class. And I'd just be sitting there, I'm like, why where where are all where are all the other girls even even at school um I kind of struggled with the idea of like well why can't I do this why why aren't we encouraged why isn't why isn't anyone talking about this why is it not acknowledged I'm literally one girl among 20 guys in my physics class or whatever it is and I think that um I think that when I was thinking about what to do next I wasn't entirely sure um looking back on it now I've always been very entrepreneurial driven and kind of always had a founder mindset at school that wasn't really talked about and I think you know one of the things I think is quite a powerful idea is you can't be what you can't see um so at school I didn't know you know all the all the things that I could be I had no idea that this is you know where I get to at this point in my life um and engineering was just an extension of maths and science and physics um and you know it it was sort of um I'm not sure where it came from but it was a little bit of a badge of honor for me that I felt like I could compete with the boys um, in these kind of very, very male-dominated spaces. Um, so when I got into my engineering degree, I did it because I got in and because I was like, well, this will be a really good skill set to have. It's a well-paying job. Kind of there wasn't a huge drive other than 
I could do it. Um, and it seemed like it actually to me, it seemed like a bit of an advantage that if I'm the only girl in the room, while a lot of people would see that as a struggle or a downside, which it was a struggle a lot. Um, it was also the upside that I was like, well, if I go to an interview and there's 20 guys and me, at least they're going to remember me. Um, so I kind of have these, these different warped ideas of what it was and why I was doing it. I actually never finished my degree. I got four and a half years in and I left halfway through my last year. Um, I'd done a lot of work experience and I just couldn't see myself working in this space. It was so male dominated, but not in a not in a good way, in a very old school way. And I just, I just wouldn't want to spend my time and my energy trying to slowly, slowly work my way up a system, you know, one day build a bridge. Nothing against engineering. I love it. I love the thinking. I brought a lot of that systems thinking into the work that I do and into the companies that I built. Um, but yeah, I kind of did it because I could. And I think that that's been a really interesting theme in my life so far as well. Um, looking back on it now, you know, I wish I'd had someone five years ahead of me that was doing something just because they could, just to show that it could be done. Um, you know, this wasn't that long ago. I was in school you know, mid, mid 2000s, late 2000s. Um, and even then it was just women do this and men do this and we don't really talk about it. Um, so it felt like, well, what if I jump over to the other side of the fence and see what the boys are doing? Um, so yeah, it was interesting to kind of have that headspace and not necessarily understand it, but have that headspace from so young. Mm, that's so interesting and, and pretty interesting that you went from one pretty male dominated industry into another um, being a founder and growing your business and your company um, so you started up Wool Days and then Bellish two different companies but pretty intertwined a creative hub for people to learn how to knit um, knitting is probably somewhat like running you may not think it's that enjoyable until you really get into it what was it that made you get into the wool and knitting industry and and did you how did you find that kind of gap in the market for a tool like Bellish yeah, um, so I've always been a maker. Um, so ever since I was little, just I think a lot of us are. I think it's, you know, human creativity is very much part of who we are and it's, you know, been part of who we are since we were, um, you know, since we've been people. Um, so just growing up sort of with my grandmas, my aunties and my mum, they all knit, they're all very crafty. So cooking, sewing, quilting, knitting, like I just I just love to make things, beading, embroidery, like expressing myself with my hands um, was a big part of who I was growing up. Um, and I kind of come and go from it, but, uh, knitting kind of stuck in that is very easy, easy, portable, um, thing. If anyone reached a certain level of friendship with me, you'll get a beanie. And then if you seek to reach an extra special level of friendship, you'll get a jumper. Jumpers take a really long time. So not many people have reached that level. Um, my partner now we've been together forever, but that we started, um, our kind of courtship, I guess I knit him a lot of beanies. So it's kind of one of my love languages, I think, cause you have to sit there hours on end knitting something to get a final result. So I think it's a really nice way. I think making anything with your, anything with your hands is a really nice way to express, um, thought and care and love for, for someone or just for yourself, you know, whatever you're making it for. So always had that part of me. Um, and then I'd been doing a lot of different things, um, but I kept coming back to knitting as kind of one of my hobbies and something that I'd kind of, I guess, learnt more and more as I was getting older was like, you know, Australia has a lot of sheep. I'm sure most people know that. New Zealand also has a lot of sheep, but the transparency of the supply chain is um, is really, really, really hard. Like where does where do materials come from? What's the story of those materials? How are we processing things? Where, how are they getting to their end point? Um, and sustainability, like, so I was, um, 
sustainability was a big focus of what I did for engineering, but just in general, I think um, it's a, you know, another, another big interest and kind of, you know, you, you get this raw material in a yarn or in ingredients for your cooking or, you know, what material for your sewing. And you go to all this effort to create something from as scratch as possible but so often these materials will come from somewhere like Spotlight and overseas and you have no idea where they came from. So I thought I thought it would be a quick project. I thought it'd be really interesting to create a wholly traceable and Australian-made um, yarn or piece of material because um, I love that idea. And I thought that it would be a really, really interesting story to tell and kind of celebrate the idea of making things um, and kind of where things come from and, you know, but... To get wool day started, it took almost two years research development, trying to work with farmers, to be honest. Most of them old school men, farmers who had no interest in this little young girl coming along and being like, I want to make a traceable yarn. How would you feel about selling me one bale of one bale of wool? So it was a really, um, really long journey to get there. But started the company wool days, huge amount of effort to make a very small supply chain of biodynamic yarn to getting spun at the mill and then either selling raw yarn or I'd knit things up and sell them as well. Um, the one downside was it did go really well, but most of our customers are actually overseas. So I put so much effort into making a super tight supply chain and then ship ship the end product halfway across the world. Um, but customers are where they are. So I ran that for a few years um, and the more the more I was doing it, the more I was learning about the space and like what made up the craft industry, um, how it worked. And I really struggled to see how it would still be relevant, not only for me to work in, but for me just to be, you know, a craft enthusiast um, for the coming years because it was so, it was stuck in like the 90s in terms of how relevant it was, how accessible it was, how the big people in the space were thinking about innovation and making sure that kind of each new generation of makers could access could access making things in a way that was relevant to kind of the rest of the world. I felt like the relevance was getting left behind. And um, one of my strong beliefs is that kind of every new generation of people, there's always going to be a subset of those who enjoy making things with their hands. That's not just for grandmas, even though most people think that. Um, and I was like, wow, how is, how is this going to remain relevant? So kept running my company, but also kept looking for this company that was going to come along. I saw this huge opportunity to really rethink what it meant to be a maker and make things huge opportunity and the more I dug into it I was like cool will it possibly be one of these things called a startup because it might need a little bit of capital it might have some technology in it and then just this vision kind of came to life to me over a couple of years and the vision got really really clear and then I got to a point where I'm like well, I don't think anyone's making this maybe one day I'll make it um I'd you know run a few different businesses um and I think I always you know had that founder mindset so um, this was kind of getting about up to 2017 and towards the end of 2017, I found this place called Startmate, which is now where I work. Um, and then they run an accelerator program. They give you money, they'd help you get your idea off the ground, they'd help accelerate you and then, you know, send you off into the company building uh, universe. And I was like, you know what, I'll apply. I'm not going to get in because I have nothing, literally nothing. I have an idea. Um, and one day I might want to do this. And if I apply, then I might learn what the process is. I might meet a few people because I was, you know, Startmate, I think having we're being work here now is kind of at the very centre of the early stage company building ecosystem. And I was like off the map. I knew no one. I knew nothing. Like I was, I was, had this big idea in my head and that was it. Anyway, I think to my surprise and 
everyone else's surprise got in to the Start Made Accelerator program. So found out I got in, I think, on the 23rd of December. Everything shut down. I needed to be in Sydney the first week of Jan. I needed to incorporate a company in that time over the Christmas break. And I needed to come up with, like, what the hell are we going to do for 12 weeks um, whilst um, to make sure I make the most of this massive opportunity. Um, anyway, I might leave it there because I guess that was the scope of your question, but that's kind of how the idea uh, uh, was forced into the world somewhat. <laughs> what a journey. I feel like even the way you speak about it, like you're such a problem solver and you saw these two things and you you kind of fell into it. And like you said, you've got a founder's mindset and like that's just the way your brain's built, but it's quite inspiring to hear your story. <laughs> uh, but we had touched on it a little bit before about like engineering being a really male-dominated space, but you moved then into the startup area, which is also a male-dominated space. But as a female and from our current experience in both the startup industry and the tech space, have you ever had an experience where you felt marginalized because of your gender in either of those situations? And did this ever put you off getting involved in business? And how did you navigate your way around working with so many men as well? Yeah, super interesting. So... Yes, absolutely. I could point to a hundred little scenarios. There was never one big scenario that happened to me. I think there was a few, like there was a few big dismissive scenarios, which I didn't appreciate. And like, I know a lot more now than I knew when I first came into this industry, I guess, in terms of how to hold myself, what to take personally, what to ignore. For the most part, I'd ignore stuff. So there's a like, there's just everyday stuff that I think we're as women so used to just dismissing because like, like, you know, what do you, where do you push and where do you, you know, walk away um, in the accelerator, in talking to mentors, in trying to raise money, in trying to get people to take me seriously, trying to get people to take me seriously, working in craft. Like there was just so much, um, so much dismissiveness, so much, well, that's cute. Um, we were actually the uh, company that raised the quickest and the biggest round in the accelerator we did we did really well during um which was fantastic but you know there was a lot of there was a lot of stuff that came along with it I know I'm speaking quite uh quite generally but I think on the whole again coming back to you know saying what I was saying about when I was younger like it was part of me feels like I I have the I have the guts I have something in me to go stand in a room full of men even though it's a very brave thing to do because you can't be what you can't see. If I can't see anyone, maybe I can be that person for someone else. So even as a young, have no idea what I'm doing founder, quite overwhelmed by the whole experience, I knew that I had enough in me to go be the first woman in the room because someone needs to be first. And so many of the rooms, so many of the conversations, so many of the processes and systems and everything I was involved in, I was the first or one of the first. And the the women, if there were ever women alongside me, were of the same really thick skin because you have to. Like to be the first, to be among a few, you have to, you know, you have to know when to call out and say something's not okay, but you just have to have thick skin to walk into that room in the first place. And I felt like that's what I had coming in, but I felt like that's what I developed massively quickly as well just a really thick skin to say I deserve to be here just as much as anyone else possibly more because I had to work my ass off to get this opportunity um and what am I going to do with it what am I going to get distracted by and let hold me back and what am I going to just run straight through so 
you know, in any given scenario, it's hard to kind of measure up how am I going to respond to anything in particular, but just that overwhelming sense of maybe no one's been here before that looks like me um, or looks like someone like me. Um, how do I want to hold myself and how do I want to make sure that I open the door so that more people can walk in who look like me behind me as well? So I, this sounds very, I don't mean to make it sound this way, it sounds quite honourable, but it was like, I can do this. I've, I've got it within me to walk into this room. Um, let me hold the door open so that other people can do that too. So I don't have to be the only woman in the room anymore. So really interesting journey and stuff that I still face. Mm. Not as much anymore, um, but a lot. Um, it's still it's still everywhere. And I think that sometimes we pick up on it and sometimes we just, we're so used to it, we, we don't even consider it anymore, which I think is a shame. Um, I do think things have changed quite a bit over the last maybe two or three years. Um, you know, we start, mate, this is the first majority female cohort. Startmate's been running for 10 years and this is the first time that more female founders than male founders got in. Like that says a lot. Amazing. I know. It's, and we're so honoured to be part of this movement. And <laughs> we'll jump further into like why we think those changes are happening soon, which is obviously a very positive thing that they are happening. But you're right. Like it is in like those little small moments throughout your day when you're working with men that you don't even really acknowledge that it, there is like this inequality between the two of us and you kind of just like let it slide because it's always been like that or it's seen as mm. normal but when you look back at a lot of situations it's pretty easy to call out like that only happened to me because I am a woman and I think it's really important for females in those situations to start taking more notice of them and actually speaking up about them because nothing will change if we don't start acknowledging them and pushing back a lot of the time. So I agree. Like, I think I've been in similar situations where you can't exactly say this one moment, this is where I was marginalized, but it's like an accumulation of a lot of smaller events where you're like, I've definitely been like mistreated because of my gender, but you yeah. definitely are brave. And that's something that we're like very inspired by. And I think it's so important to have people like you. And you're also very optimistic do you think as a as a founder, you kind of have to be optimistic because I feel like you have to think about the success of your company and try to ignore the failure or the fear of failure as much as you can? Do you feel like optimism and being brave has come from a certain place or do you feel like people could build that into their personalities or who they are as people over time? Yeah. Um, yes, I do think they can. I think optimism is a huge, it's a huge part of life. I think it's a huge part of being a founder. Like, more than anything, if you're starting something new, whether it's a company um, or maybe you're starting to run for the first time, like you have to believe that you can do it. If you don't believe you can do it, no one else is going to believe that you can do it. And when you're building a company, you need to convince a lot of people about what you're doing before there's kind of any proof that you can do it. So that optimism and I think self-belief, like there's been so many times that I've thought to myself, like if I get through this, it's going to be 100% because I believe I can get through it. And like other, like, Otherwise, I would go sit in the corner and have a cry. Like there's so many points where things get really hard and, and self-belief. And I think that's a part of optimism um, is what gets you through. I think optimism, some people are born generally more optimistic and those people tend to, you know, make really good natural fit founders. But I think optimism can absolutely be learned and evolved over time. And I think it comes from a lot of different places. It can come from working through hard things. It can come from setting goals and achieving them or learning along the way. Like it can come from a lot of different places, but I think optimism does come from a place of, um, of self-belief and kind of belief in the world that you're building 
for yourself um, and the world that you're participating in as well. So I think it's it's a muscle that that you can practice and you can grow, but I really do think that you need self-belief um, and you need to nurture that. Uh, you need to nurture that in order to genuinely have optimism. There's the idea of optimism and it's very easy to be optimistic when things are going well. It's those who are still optimistic when, you know, every possible thing that can go wrong does go wrong, as very often happens when you're building a company. Um, and how do you, what do you keep falling back on? And it, I think it's that self-belief that I can get up and I can, I can do it or I can take a step back and take a breath and then I can come back and I can do it. It's no matter what knocks you down that you can keep moving, that you can keep moving forward. But yeah, like unwavering self-belief. If you had asked me what it takes to be a founder, I would say um, unwavering self-belief. And that doesn't mean that you don't question yourself and that you don't have dark moments or anything, but it means that you will always come back around to, I believe that I'm the person to be doing this thing um, and I'll do whatever it takes to get it done. It's awesome. I feel like you definitely have a lot of self-belief applying for Startmate without <laughs> your company, you know, you an idea, but you must have believed in it so much. And I think, you know, the way you're talking about it can evolve over time. I feel like Femi, both Lids and myself, the belief in it has grown over time as well with the community coming on board as well and seeing everyone else, you know, I guess with the whole purpose behind Femi, more and more people aligning to the purpose. We're like, oh my gosh, so many people have gone through similar stories and it obviously helps alongside that as well. But um, you kind of talked a little bit about it before, but, um, and obviously working in a male dominated space, but also just in any space, you probably face some rejection. Obviously getting into Startmate was great, but I know that the experience of Startmate is hard over, you know, the 12 weeks and beyond and being told is also uh, being told no is also really hard and quite common. But how did you work around rejection and did you face a lot of it throughout your, your time with Bellish and, and before that as well? Yeah. So um, for all the ups, there are many, just as many, if not more downs and rejection is a big part of it. I think we got lucky with some things. Um, although I do believe the harder you work, the luckier you get. Um, but we did get lucky with some things, absolutely, and I think luck plays a big part in, you know, overall company building success and, you know, general life success as well. Um, but in terms of rejection, I think there would be three camps of rejection for me, and this is me more looking back at it rather than having a level of self-awareness that I could necessarily take it on at the time. I think I've got better over time. One is this was not the right person. I don't need their approval, whether it's for money, um, job off, like whatever it is. Some people just aren't, their rejection isn't relevant. And I think getting to a point where you can understand that for whatever reason, this wasn't meant to happen. It's got nothing to do with me or what I'm doing. It might have something to do with them or something else, but this rejection isn't relevant. I don't need to take on board. Like there might be some learnings um, from the process and always, always, always open to learnings, but some rejections you can just walk away from and you don't need to think about, I think, reflecting on every single rejection because um, you're going to get a lot of them in life uh, can get you down a little bit. I think there's the ones that you wanted and they were the right people or places or opportunities or whatever it is um, and you didn't get them. And then I think that's a really good point to reflect on what could I have done differently? Was I ready for that opportunity? Whatever it is. Um, what can I learn? What did I say? You know, I think there's a lot of point of uh, reflection when you don't get the things that you then you seek. I 
Um, I do believe that most things happen for a reason. So often when, you know, when one door closes, another opens. So if you got rejected from that, where's the opportunity within that rejection to learn, to take a different path, to look at something a different way, whatever it might be. And then there's the rejections that just really, really hurt. No matter how much you think about um, the learnings and all of those kind of things, and you can't help taking them personally. And I think it's very okay to feel those because within that there's the space to learn and lean into those learnings as well. Why was it so important to you? Um, you know, some things are completely out of your control, you know, maybe a startup competition or you didn't win a race or whatever it is, but, you know, acknowledging that it was important to you and it didn't happen, I think is really important to reflect and kind of give space to those, um, to those feelings as well. So yeah, rejection is hard. I get really disheartened, but, um, I guess over time from a business point of view, I've tried, um, unsuccessfully many times, but over time I've gotten better at, you know, this is this is work me and this is personal. This is me, me. And work me can take this on board, but me, me doesn't need to, like once I leave the work for the day, I can, um, I don't need to take that on board as a, you know, for my personal self as well. And kind of learning to have that extra thick skin in work scenarios, um, I think it's been helpful as well. But yeah, rejection hurts. Um, a lot of these learnings come from being rejected a lot. <laughs> yeah, and I think that leads really nicely into our next question because I think, the rejection hurts the most when it's about something that is really personal to you and you're really passionate about. And when you're starting a company, you're most likely really passionate about that purpose of the company. And I know like when you your passion becomes your job, there can be a danger of throwing too much of yourself at it. And I personally mm -hmm. ex experienced this in my 20s um, where I ended up with Redis, which is essentially when you're in an energy deficit state and your body starts to shut down, um, which for me resulted in the loss of my menstrual cycle. Redis is very much related to sport, but I definitely see it all the time where women are facing similar issues in work or even family stresses. And I know you went through something similar with burnout. Can you talk us through this and what was that time like for you when you realized that you needed to take some action and start prioritizing your health over your work? Yeah. Great question. Um, I, I, in summary, I, I uh, did anything far, far, far too late, and I had to go really, really, really low. So, my whole, like, I'm very, um, very high energy, kind of here to solve problems, all of those things. I'd been running between wool days and then bellish. I'd been doing that for about seven years, um, and kind of the last couple of years of those was running that company through COVID and managing a team through COVID and kind of you know, just a lot of things piling on. And I was so aware of all the risk factors in the company. Um, I never considered myself a risk factor, which was a huge, huge oversight. Um, level of self-awareness just completely dropped off there. Um, you know, there's obviously a lot to this story, but I got to about the middle of last year. I was, and I just, I was tired all the time. I wasn't turning up as my best self at work. I wasn't the CEO I needed or wanted to be. I wasn't making good decisions. All of this stuff was happening and I just kept ignoring it kept doing whatever I could just to get to the weekend. Um, and I started taking weekends off. Like I'd been working my ass off for a really, really, really long time. Um, but because I'd been so busy, how I thought about things, how I prioritised things, how I was going about my work, it all just started to slip. And it got to the point where I was like, well, I just need to work harder. I just need to work harder. I never thought, how much of a step back do you need to take to recognise what's going on here? And then, like, this company had been my life. I'd given up so much for it. I obsessed about it every single day, whether, you know, absolutely not healthy, um, wasn't making good decisions or anything like that. 
Um, and then one day I just couldn't get out of bed. Like literally, I just couldn't get out of bed. I got out of bed every morning, you know, and I run this company. I had, you know, lots of important meetings going, like there was a lot going on and I just didn't care. And that started six months of pretty dark time where ultimately, um, long story short, and I'm happy to go over, but ultimately shut down the company. Um, and it took me six months of just being a very slow moving, long sleeping shell of a human. And, you know, I'm just coming out the other side now. Like it was like true burnout is, is such an intense thing. And it's a shame that I let myself get there. It's a shame that we kind of, the idea, like that getting to a point of pre-burnout is even kind of normalized, that pushing yourself and all those kind of things. And we can talk about all this if you want, but yeah, it was just six months of, I'd, you know, for the first three or four months, I'd sleep like 18 hours. Like I just couldn't, I just couldn't do anything. I had intense back pain. I couldn't move. Like my body just completely broke down, just massive brain fog. I couldn't think about anything. Um, it was incredibly, incredibly hard. And within all of that, I tried all these different ways to keep the company running, you know, looked at different CEOs, tried to sell it, do all these things. But ultimately I couldn't separate myself from the company. I'd, I'd become so entwined with it um, that I ended up just having to shut it down, which was such a shame because, you know, it was still relatively early, but we built, like, we built it. Like we, it was stage one, but we'd, we'd built the opportunity that I set out to build um, and to walk away from that kind of just when it was time to think bigger and, and go bigger and run harder um, was such a overall, looking back on it now, such a humbling time, but such an intense, intense time to go through um, as a person to, to process those emotions, not have any idea what was going on um, and just my body just completely breaking down um, during that time was, um, yeah, it was incredibly hard. Mm, yeah. And I'm so sorry you've been through that. And yeah, I went through something similar, which really came on from the stress of work um, and not necessarily training and running, but to the point I had to quit my job and walk away as well. But mm. do you think like the amount you were working and how much you were throwing yourself at the company, was that and a pressure you felt from external sources, investors, people, or do you feel like you were trying to prove yourself as a female founder or kind of what was that push that was making you work so hard that you weren't looking after yourself or even noticing the signs that you were getting sick? Yeah, yeah, really good question. I think I think it was like it was ultimately pressure for me. We're all adults. We all make our own decisions where we can. Um, I think it was ultimately from me, but I think the idea of what it took to run a venture-backed company, the intensity of it was so normalised that I didn't have enough experience, wherewithal, space, whatever it was, to take a step back and say, this isn't how I want to do it. I think there's a different way. And the most frustrating thing for me is if I had the awareness and space that I have now and I'd actually taken a break. I think I still would be running that company. I think it would be going incredibly well. I think it would be well in the way to, you know, making that vision come come to life. And I think that the no pressure from one individual space, but the the general idea of what it took to run a company, the general idea that, more, to be fair, most of the people that I knew, um, most of the founders around me were men. So there wasn't any kind of deeper, it was just like, just just do more just push harder just like it was so it didn't come from any particular space and there's no ultimately no one to blame but myself but I think the idea around the hustle culture and um and what it takes to run a company was um 
it's just so much and that didn't change during COVID and that didn't change you know when we knew better like I knew better like I I'm such a four-day work week lives in my heart and I was the CEO of my own company and I didn't implement that and that's 100% on me I could have implemented a really 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 fantastic work culture and I didn't because I just thought more was more um and I know so much better now and I'm using like i using so many of those learnings and working with founders now because like you know founders uh just to talk about founders for a moment but founders are people who are out there building the future the people who are starting companies now are building literally building the future that we're going to live in 5 10 15 years time do we want the future to be the same as it is now or do we want it to be more sustainable and more considered for us as people and you know for the world as a whole and i could have built a really really good example of a sustainable well considered company and i fell into the trap of just doing what everyone else does and working harder um mm. and that's it's you know that's a really hard lesson to learn you know it's not your fault because we've grown up in this very male dominated world the world we live in has been built by men for men you know and i just think about the ways that women work is and should be different to the way that men work and you know even how we train our female athletes it's all about their hormones and you know adapting their training schedules to how their hormones are working and I honestly see a world where the work culture is built the same for females you know we work when we're feeling good or where our hormones are in particular time and then we make sure we prioritize rest and recovery at other times so hopefully like the workplace is also going to change for females and the way that we actually approach the workload and stresses so that women can like be their best selves when they turn up to work as well whether they're a founder or working for someone else's company or as a contractor whatever it might be just mm. allow females to flourish in their own careers absolutely and i think it's on the on us at the moment as kind of people helping to build the ecosystem and build these huge companies to think about to deliberately think about this stuff and what well, feels like a heavy load and we're enjoying millennia of work um there's no better time than now and that's why i'm so excited about femi as well because i think what you're doing is awesome for athletes but just for women in general just to empower women to think about what works for them like i would i've never said this out loud before but i would love one day off a month to just have a really shitty first day of my period day and even now i'd struggle to have that conversation with someone at work and that's how is that you know what kind of world is it that we some of us have really 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 tough times once twice three times however many times a month and we're just expected to turn up and work anyway that's so true and i guess that's what we're trying to change with Femi and like that male dominated space and that old school mentality. And like you hear those sayings like go hard or go home. And that's literally what coaches have said to female athletes before. And it's such a terrible mentality because 80% of the time you should be going pretty cruisy and then 20% of the time maybe go hard, but it's the same. It, it relates to both kind of industries. And I feel like what you're doing now with Startmate, like you're using your own experience to help so many other startup founders look at the way they're working in a really holistic way. And that's what we're doing at Femi as well. And Femi was built off our, off the back of both Lids and myself's experience as well. So I feel like, although what you went through is really hard and you're still healing, like you're taking that learning and, and helping a lot of people as well, which is an amazing thing to do. Um, but from your experience and like what you went through, were there specific things that if you, if you were to talk to a founder now or someone that you can see is, potentially heading down a similar track to what you were or like just from your learnings in general that you would have done differently or advice you would give to someone in that situation? So much, so, 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 so much. Um, 
so much. I think a few things like I've so I've spoken to a few, oh, I've talked to a lot of founders. Um, I spoke to a few founders in this cohort actually recently about um about focus, about you know that feeling, sense of overwhelm, and how to work through it and everything. And I think that that you know how I approach it on an individual level is what questions do I need to ask so that you can internalize these thinkings because someone telling you something is very different to you you know believing it and and making changes for yourself I think from a system level like I'm in a very fortunate position now um, where I'm kind of helping shape the early stage company building ecosystem how we get involved what that looks like what's normalized what's celebrated all those kind of things so bringing a lot of those lessons in but in terms of you know jumping into practicality something that I think about now and to be honest some days I do it really well and some days I absolutely do terribly um and that's it's definitely prolonging you know how quickly I'm healing but what's the unit of time and I like to work in days but I think you could work up to weeks that you know, what does a sustainable day look like for you? So if you were to do that day, maybe slightly different activities, back to back to back to back, 100 times over, it's such that you could do that. So does that mean making sure no matter what, first and foremost, you prioritise sleep? So if you didn't get enough sleep the night before, turn off your alarm and you keep sleeping until you got that sleep. Is it taking the dog for a walk in the morning? What are you eating? How often are you moving? How were you using your headspace? How are you using different, how are you, honoring different parts of who you are, work you and personal you and relationship you and all of those kind of things. And if you can set up a sustainable day, it almost, you know, because at the moment I, I do have a job and I do have to go to work, but how do I make sure within any unit of time that I don't get so out of touch with what sustainable looks like for me that I, you know, because it's it's pretty quickly, like it only takes me a few days at the moment to kind of head back down um, the kind of that overwhelming exhaustion level so it's definitely at a day level for me at the moment of like what does a sustainable day look like what are the practices that I need to put into place to make sure that I can like I can look back on my week five out of six days whatever however many days are in a week um I had a sustainable day and this is how I feel at the end of the week and that's good I'm ready to go and approach the next week or the next day or whatever so I think that there's a lot that you know there's so much to it that's one thing that I kind of practically hold myself to at the moment in the past, it was go hard until you can't go anymore, rest as little as possible to catch your breath and then go hard again. And I know from running a company and you would know from training that that's, that's not how, that's not the way to, you know, do it. So what are those incremental steps? What's that level of sustainability that you need to get to, um, to move through life as a person? Because the other thing I'm incredibly aware of, just a tangent for a moment, is I was running between those two companies, those companies for the last seven years. That was my mid to late 20s and early 30s and in my mind that was I was sitting in front of my computer and I was working and I didn't do a lot of things that I possibly could have and should have done kind of as a 20 year old um so what am I doing now what how do I make sure that my personal cup and my work cup and my puppy parent cup and all of those cups are filled up um as often as possible mm, thank you so much for sharing your journey I think like that's going to help so many women, I think too many women are just like under the pump and we're all chasing that kind of yeah hustle mentality culture, which is not beneficial to anybody. So I think it's awesome to for us to have these conversations and put it out to women that it's okay to stop and slow down and take a breath every now and then. I think 
Uh, there's so many similarities in the founder journey to being an athlete and training for events. And we always talk about sustainability in training and how important it is to have easy days and rest days and recovery days and run slow a lot of the time. And it's very similar when building a company because ultimately you want to be doing it in another five, 10 years. And if you don't take those steps now, I imagine we're all good, we would all burn out. <laughs> um, we've kind of touched on this a little bit, but knowing that women and many other marginalized groups get pretty hard done by in the workforce. And it feels like a lot of the time we have to work twice as hard to get half as much recognition. At Startmate, as you mentioned, this is the first year you've had majority of founders being female, which we are so excited to be part of. What do you think it is that has made those like massive changes and huge steps forwards in the, this sort of industry? But I think in the workplace in general, getting um, women more at the forefront of, you know, leadership teams and CEO positions and yet um, encouraging women to be founders. Like, can you boil it down to like one or two things that you think has made such a big difference? Yeah, I think, um, I think, you know, there's a lot to it and like, I don't want to undersell just the immense amount of grunt work that goes into it as well. But a couple of things for me is like one, just acknowledging that it's a problem or that it's not okay and we need to do better because I think until now, just the fact that of just just getting the acknowledgement out there wasn't really there. You could say something and then we'd all move on. Like, yeah, like the acknowledgement, I think, is such a big part that this isn't okay and we need to do better. Um, going back to something I said right at the start, I think, um, and, you know, I don't think this is the best quote for it, but you can't be what you can't see. And I think the last few years we've made a big effort into highlighting people who are in roles. But I think something that's super interesting that's come out of that as well is how hard it's been to find women in positions to say, here's what a leadership position looks like for a woman. Because whilst there are lots of them, and I don't want to take away from any of the women that have done so well to get so far, you know, you, like I know working, like it, I have so many examples, but just how hard it's been to even find examples of women to say, this is what success in leadership like. This is what success in starting a founder, in starting a company looks like. This is what success in being an expert in a field looks like. And I think they, the push to highlight people has shown how hard it is to find people to highlight. Um, and there are amazing, amazing, amazing women out there. Um, and women, there's amazing people out there that can and should be highlighted. But the idea of we're acknowledging it and saying it's not good enough and we need to do something, taking that step to highlight women because I think that when you do see someone who looks like you or shares traits or whatever it might be, I think for a lot of people who just need that little bit of extra step, don't quite have that, first step bravery which is huge like it's it's a huge thing to be a first step person and not everyone has it um how do we how do we show women that there is a path for them and then um I think just consistently showing up as much as possible um so that you know when when you host events make sure that um if there, it's an it's an invited event make sure you know make sure you have a mix of people on the on the invite um, host some women-only events. I think that women-only events are, can be a little bit of a Band-Aid, but at the same time, I think that we are in Band-Aid um, or sticky tape mode where we are still building what it means. Like, you know, holding a tech conference, even I'd still hesitate to go to just a super dude tech conference right now. Um, but women in tech, I am there. I'll be on, like, I'll do whatever it takes to, to get there. And how do we kind of highlight opportunities and pathways for people I think generally opening the idea of, you know, 
it, it used to be even not that long ago, even when I started, founding a company was kind of who you founding a company and getting backing um, was kind of who you knew. And I think a lot of women didn't know the right people. But now it's sort of how do we make sure everyone has access? And this is something I think a lot about in the work I do now. Like we can't limit access. Like something I did when I started here is I opened my Calendly. I have an open Calendly link for anyone to anyone to talk to me. And it's completely ruined my um, my weekly or my daily calendar, which isn't helping with the sustainability thing. But I think it's so important that anyone can have equal access. And I think equal access sometimes needs to look like you put a little bit more effort into, you know, some things than other things. Um, so there's a lot that goes into it, but I think acknowledging it was the first biggest step. And I think we almost go back and forward on acknowledging a little bit. We seem to make a tiny bit of progress and then the world's like, oh, everything's equal now, we're fine. And then we're sitting here and being like, we took one step out of 100. We have so far to go. And I think continuously acknowledging um, the inequality in things and what we're continuously doing to make sure it's it's better um, is, is a really big part of it. Yeah, like bang on. These are all the things that we sort of go for at FEMI as well. And I think the acknowledgement piece is so important. And it's something that we talk about a lot with, coaches who work with female athletes and the way they speak to female athletes and saying certain phrases like oh you look fit or you look fast and it's that acknowledgement of questioning what they're actually saying meaning by that statement mm. like, you look what does that mean like do they yeah. embody the, the ideal body of fitness and fastness then so yeah it's like acknowledging it and the same thing that we're always calling out uh when there's inequality in pay especially in athletics and they've, you know, they've actually changed that now as a requirement to pay female athletes the same as men in events. Cause there's been a few times Lids and I called out this event where it was $10,000 prize money for the men and a thousand dollars for the woman for well, the same Ooh. race. Yeah. Which is shocking. And I think it's so accurate when you're saying um, we think there's a little bit of success, but then you look at the actual underlying numbers and it's still, we have so far to go. So it's super cool that Startmate this year has, more women in that space and I think yeah we just got to keep pushing um and there's a lot of opportunity there but you you touched on it a bit before around your unwavering self-belief and it is something that you you definitely have within you but we always talk about confidence and how important it is in in um in life and in general for women who are trying to get into those positions where like the saying that you said before you can't be what you can't see and you need confidence to kind of go after those positions but do you think there's like something inside of you that's special that's just created this unwavering self-belief and confidence and like where do you think it comes from because I know you sort of talked about being in those rooms with or being in those spaces where you're the only girl out of 20 guys but what made you sort of actually want to pursue that sort of thing and have that confidence in yourself do you know where it comes from um short answer is no um I think that so unwavering self-belief and confidence I think are actually two different things like there's like I will always believe myself that there's times when I'm feeling very confident and there's times that um again I want to go sit in a corner by myself um and that will spring up you know sometimes when I least expect it sometimes I'm going to an event and I would at the moment the last minute when walking out the door I just won't go because for whatever reason I'm just not I'm just not feeling confident I don't you know, those levels of confidence waver massively. And I think when you're a founder and I think when you're doing a lot of new things and putting yourself out there, um, levels of confidence can come and go. But I think it doesn't um, it doesn't impact my underlying 
I'm still feel like I'm the person to be here doing this thing. Um, in terms of in terms of confidence, I think not exactly sure where it started, but I think part of it is kind of confidence to me is a little bit of a practice thing, like so many things. Like um, you know, with training again, consistency is is such a key to so much of what we do. And I think you know, doing something where when you do feel confident, leaning into it, or when you don't feel confident, either walking away and saying now's not the time or leaning into it or questioning it and and you know walking into rooms where you might not feel confident and then having a really good experience or a good impact or learning something and walking out and saying that was worthwhile doing and I'm happy to do it again next time or I will take that meeting or I will stand up on that stage or I will do these you know crazy big brave things um but I think it it comes with practice and kind of that confidence muscle is how much do you do you work it? How much do you lean on it? How much do you rely on it in terms of, you know, is it going to, um, yeah, just that confidence muscle. It's It comes and goes a lot, but the more I kind of use it, I think the stronger it gets. And then, you know, last year when I burnt out and lost so much confidence, like I was questioning everything, as you can imagine, imagine when you, you do when you get so low. Um, and it's taking me like this, take me a long time to build that up and I'm definitely still doing it there's you know there's even opportunities now like this job is amazing and I get so many opportunities and there's a few things that I still I just say no to and I don't even know why but every day I'm putting myself out there with this job um with my personal life like just going kind of getting back out there and rebuilding up that confidence muscle but I think something that I've done post burnout or coming out the other side of burnout is being a lot kinder to myself saying you don't have to feel 100% or 100% confidence at all the time. That's, it's kind of, I think those unreal expectations are partly what got me here. Um, so kind of knowing that it comes in ebbs and flows a little bit and kind of understanding when to lean into it and or when to push it or, you know, whatever it might be. So I think confidence, I think we can all have it in us. And I think the more we do things that we enjoy um, and we feel empowered by and we, um, you know, want to seek out more challenges or whatever it might be and we succeed or we learn from things, you know, there's so much that goes into, there's so much that goes into building confidence, but I think it's, I think it's a muscle. It's how much you get up and use it um, or acknowledge it in the first place. Yeah. I like the way you put that, that confidence can come and go because I think I've always been set that like you either have confidence or you don't and you want to grow your confidence, but that's so true. Like, I feel like I'm the same. There's some days where I feel really confident in myself and other days that I potentially don't, but that underlying like self-belief is always there. Um, it's just shown, I think in different ways. So thank you. Mm. I think you explained that so well. Um, and you also come across as very confident in all of the team meetings when you're, you know, running <laughs> big workshops with all of the founders. It's pretty inspiring. Well, way. I need you all to listen to me. So I, I, need, to, <laughs> I, need, to, <laughs> I need to make sure I sound confident. <laughs> Somewhat. You do, trust us. <laughs> I've got one more question until we have two, two quick fire questions, but before we get into them, the last thing we wanted to know was what is one thing you wish you could see more of from women in business? I think this question is just coming from your experience and the job that you are in now and I guess the position you empower you have over like building females in the business space. What is one thing you wish you could see more of? Oh, so much. Um, I'm going to go with my first gut response. Um, I'm sure we could spend probably a whole week talking about this, but my first gut response is kind of, I think um, something I touched on slightly before, I think the people who have made it 
you know, progressed in the business world, there's two things. There's one, if you make a step forward, make sure the door's open behind you so someone else can come through. But as was mentioned before, in terms of the idea of work and business and all of it is basically being built around men. And I think now that, you know, women working is just as normal as men working, it's kind of, I would love to see women who are in a position of power, who do have the power to make change or influence or ask questions, that they ask those questions. They don't just continue to do what's always been done. They say, how are we going about working? What does it mean to be, to have a productive work week? Um, I'm, I'm looking for the answer to be a four day work week, but like, what does it mean to, um, yeah, just what does it mean? Like, I think that if we say, if we say the goal of equality in work is getting more women in work, I think we're understanding the idea of what is work in the first place? Why are we here? What are we trying to achieve? And women coming into this space, like I, I, the, the conversations I have with any women, my osteo, my physio, whoever it might be, are very different to the conversations that I have with men around hustle hard and make money and do this. And what about balance and life and, you know, respecting the people that we are outside of work and that work is a part of who we are um, and that, you know, pulling 70-hour work weeks shouldn't and can't be the only way to get a promotion or to succeed or doing more work than what you're getting paid for is fine because maybe one day you'll get recognised for it. Just like fundamentally questioning um, how we've set up the structure of work. So that was my gut feel. Very big ask of women uh, in general. But I think that if we don't ask those questions, it's always going to be hard for for women to come in and, and have a huge impact um, in the workplace because it was never set up for us in the first place. Mm, I actually listened to this podcast today um, about marketing and it was um they were talking about Henry Ford and the idea of the five-day work week I don't know if you've known the story but the idea of the five-day work week um came from Henry Ford because he wants to give people two days off each week so that they could go and drive their cars and become customers of Ford um and I'm like it all makes sense now but um it's there you go it's being built by men you know to drive for men yeah. probably to drive the, the cars mm. yeah yeah and it's interesting because I think like you said before, Megan, having like your first day of your period, that's nothing that's ever been discussed before. Whereas now with more women in these positions, these types of topics are actually coming up more. So there's more opportunity for change and more understanding about that. Women have a completely different hormonal fluctuation and cycle that's going on throughout a month. Whereas men just get up in the morning, they get a peak in cortisol, they get some testosterone, they get up, they go work, they go home and it happens the same every day. Whereas women, it's completely different. So you're so right. Like women using their power and like, yeah, understanding what other women go through and being more open to more flexible work. I think mm. we're going to do yeah. that. That's for sure. Love it. <laughs> cool. All right. Last quick fire question. So these can be really short and sweet or you can go really deep, whatever you want to do. Uh, what would you tell your youngest self? So if you were to look back at your 15 year old self, what would be some advice that you would give her or you? You can do it. I'd just be like, just, just don't, don't get, yeah, just, you can do it. Whatever you want to do, you can do it. Love it. There's the confidence showing. <laughs> um, and then the last one is what is your purpose on mother earth? Um, to enjoy being here. I think to, to have just to enjoy being here. Yeah. It's life is life is good on the whole. And I think sometimes I make it harder for myself than I need to. Um, but I'm, I have a partner that I love. I just, I have things that I love and 
um, sometimes it feels like life's getting busy and gets in the way of me just having just enjoying it so I'm always thinking about how I can get back to uh, enjoying it yeah amazing we appreciate that so much and yeah I'm sure all of our listeners today would have appreciated this conversation so much as well so thank you so much for joining us we are very grateful and also very lucky to have you as our partner at Startmate we've already learned so much and we're so excited for the next I'd say a couple of months with you um, building out Femi and what the future of Femi looks like so thank you for joining us today Um, yeah super grateful Absolutely. No worries. I love what you're doing. And I think you're going to be a big part of, you know, building the future for women. So very, very excited to to be on Team Femi. Thank you. Well, thanks for tuning into the Femi Pod. We appreciate every single one of you listening. And of course, our wonderful guest, Megan. If you enjoyed this episode, we would greatly appreciate five-star rating on Apple Pods. If you want to get in touch with us and send through any thoughts, feelings, or ideas, you can get us on Instagram at femi.co or head straight to our website, femi.co. But in the meantime, thanks for listening. And Esther and I will be back with more thoughts around females next week.